moderator Nathan Lutz discusses flesh issues and methodologies with Harriet Barnett, Al Martino, and Tara Cacavalli on October 11, 2008. This event is co-sponsored by Nicefelt and Nell. Good, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the first ever Nell Nicefelt Roundtable discussion on issues in plus. My name is Nathan Lutz, and I will be moderating this session. Uh, I teach French and Spanish in the lower school at Manly's Pebble Hill School in suburban Syracuse. And I am the outgoing New York State representative for the National Network for Early Language Learning and the current vice president of the Foreign Language Association of Central New York. In November, I will be assuming the position of National Networking Coordinator for now. And directly next to me is NEL President Terry Kakavali, who serves as the K-12 Foreign Language Specialist of the Holliston, Massachusetts Public Schools. She is a graduate of SUNY Cortland, where she was named Distinguished Alumna in 2005, the Year of Languages, and has a master's degree in French from Middlebury College. She's currently enrolled in the EDD program and Second Language Acquisition at Boston University, where she has taught the student teaching seminar for prospective bilingual ESL and foreign language teachers. She's a proud member of NYSEFELT and did a presentation on second language literacy at our 2008 Summer Institute in Oneonta. In uh, November, she will become past president of NEL and will continue as NEL's organizational liaison. Please welcome Terry. Next to Terry is Al Martino, who uh, his resume is the epitome of language uh, of a language professional. He's taught Spanish, Italian, and French, secondary, plus, and post-secondary positions. He's done numerous workshop presentations and keynotes over the past 20 years, and uh, he's a member of many professional organizations and a former president of NYSEFEL. Al has authored uh, state curriculum guides as well as co-authored textbooks and publications, including the 2004 volume of creative, creative writing activities for the foreign language classroom. Uh, many of you will remember Al as the New York State Department of Education Association's uh, Associate in Foreign Language Education. Al is currently the Supervisor of Foreign Languages and ESL at Gilderland Central School District, as well as Adjunct Lecturer at SUNY Albany and New Paltz. Welcome, Al. And next to Al is Harriet Barnett, who has taught for more than 35 years as a foreign language classroom teacher in the primary, middle, and high schools. She's given speeches and conducted numerous workshops regionally, nationally, and internationally for major foreign language and other conferences. She was a two-time runner-up for New York State Teacher of the Year and has received several awards from NYSEFELT. She has served on the boards of the New York State Association of Foreign Language Teachers and the American Association of Teachers of Spanish and Portuguese, uh, the Metropolitan New York chapter, and the AATSP and AATF Plus commissions, and as a national nominating chair for the AATSP. Harriet has worked closely with the New York State Education Department on the state curriculum and state standards. Until recently, she was the Northeast and New York State representative for NEL. She's written several articles, chapters, books, and translations, and has served as a reviewer of various foreign language publications. She was on the writing team of the New York State Frameworks for Languages Other Than English, the actual K-12 performance guidelines, and the New York State Resource Guides for Checkpoint A and the Early Foreign Language Guide. 
as well as co-author of a middle school textbook and a Spanish teaching songbook. Harry is currently a second language methods instructor at Manhattanville College in Purchase, New York, a consultant for several school districts, a workshop leader for Putnam Northwest Chester Boces, and co-chair of the Early Foreign Language Committee of Ninth Adult. Please welcome Harry. And um, we're going to start off with a brief video that Al has brought that uh, talks about the school district's BLESS program. As a teacher, I'm trying to make some of those developmental adjustments. It's in their eyes. You can tell that they're engaged in the learning and they're excited. To teach that type of audience is really wonderful. It makes me more excited about teaching. I love to walk through the hallways and listen to teachers say, Erna, and kids alike. And to me, there are some challenges, you know, like teaching is not just knowing your subject area. Teaching is knowing how to, you know, manage a classroom. Teaching is knowing, you know, that there's more to teaching than just going there and speaking to the kids in Spanish. You have to know what are the reasons behind what you're doing. Around with that is they have to have a lot of energy. 
Rebecca Frank and Delfina Camila Royo were hired by the district in the summer of 2007 to initiate the FLUS program. I'm really excited that the FLUS concept has been embraced. This is where we should be doing it. And I really am amazed at how much the children have retained. Um, and they tell me things right in context. I ask them, and they're telling me, I don't have to prompt them as much anymore. And that's really neat to see. This past week, I was just, I didn't have to prompt at all. They just answered me right away. And that was, I just thought, wow, this is working. <laughs> For me, it's a great thing. I, you know, like when I'm teaching Spanish, it's like I'm sharing a little bit of who I am with the kids and the teacher. The fun about it is that, okay, with the family, with the colors, with the calendar, you can go home and you can tell your family about it and you can tell, oh, ese es el color rojo, o ese es el color negro. And, you know, I tell them, oh, you have to go home. And when you get home, you take over Ms. Cabrillo's job. You become the teacher. Spanish instruction at this level takes place in a variety of lesson designs. The typical lesson will unfold with an entrance song. Usually the startup of the lesson has a song. A song in Spanish that gets the kids on board that says, hey, now it's time for Spanish. Start thinking in Spanish. It will also end, usually, with a song as well, which is our closure activity. In between those two songs, you will find activities that engage students in movement, standing, dancing, moving, pointing, touching, touching pictures that are related to the vocabulary words that, being, that they hear in the target language. There will be other songs that they will be using to practice those vocabulary words. At the K-2 level, the integration of fundamental communication and primal social exercises within the curriculum provides a catalyst for learning. With kindergartners, we just have 20 minutes a week. And right now we are working with a family. And what we thought about is, okay, what are these kids around? You know, like they are around their families and they are around school. So let's give them practical language vocabulary that they can go home and they can say, you know what? You're my mother. Oh, I know that word in Spanish. I do. Oh, madre, mamá, mami. And they can communicate to their family. They can go back to their family and say, you know what? I know how to say mother in Spanish. I know how to say hermano, which is brother. I might do a mini lesson and realize, okay, it's time to move, which is a great little, you know, breaker. Well, do a bit of ejercicio and they even know, you know, oh, it, she wants us to exercise and so I'll get them just to move around and that's really important and it's not just to get them to stretch, which learners need to do, but we're also covering a lot of vocabulary. Now they're asking me, oh, can 
definitely South by South, which is jumping their favorite. But, you know, they're initiating. So I think that's really, it just happens. It's a really nice teachable moment when I'm just trying to get them to move a bit, <laughs> stretch out their bodies and brains. I think there were a lot of wide eyes on the first day of, of class. Um, Delfina came in, and there was a lot of immersion that first day where she would very fluently ask something in Spanish or point to something. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't something that the students had seen before, but it was very easy to get excited about. I think some of them hadn't been exposed to another language, or maybe their exposure had been through Dora or Sesame Street. So it, it wasn't as true of an experience as it was. But I, I, I don't think it was the type that they were afraid to go forward. I think it was that mixed with excitement and not really knowing what was to come. I think when Delphina first came in, it was more observation. They would watch her more and kind of try to figure out. There was a lot of guessing games at the beginning where Delphina would say something and the children would, you know, try to figure it out. It was, it was like a puzzle. And now there's there's more interaction. It's more of a, a classroom environment where she'll come in and she has her introduction song and her song at the end. She has dances that she teaches them. They know their colors. They know their days. They can get involved with the calendar. So now it's, it's more of an interaction between the class and Delphina than a, a show or something brand new. As this is the first year of FLESS at Gilderland, the program accesses multiple modalities of learning, mostly in the area of oral communications. Listening, speaking, touching, pointing, singing, and many different physical activities that engage the students in using the language are used to teach and to demonstrate to the teachers that they understand what they are hearing. When I go and watch the teachers, the communication goal is clearly, it is so clearly met. The entire lesson, you can watch the children participating with the teacher. To me, that is the quintessential assessment of children learning this and experiencing success in, in the Spanish program. The success of the Spanish program truly is linked intimately to the qualities of the teachers. And that, I have to say that perhaps more than other programs, because it is a pushing 20 to 30 minute program once a week, those teachers have to be on target. No downtime, transitions are quick, smooth, easy, ready to work with other teachers. And I happen to say those are the kinds of things that these two teachers do. We have high energy teachers that truly understand children, how to make learning meaningful, how to engage the students, and these teachers go for it from the minute they walk in to the minute they leave, that lesson is on. There are no stops, there are no starts, there are no hiccups, it just moves forward. These two teachers exemplify that almost to an extreme. I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised to have found two quality teachers like this. Lisa Corrado is a special education teacher at Pine Bush Elementary School. As with all kindergarten first and second grade classes, 
Rebecca Frank provides a push-in Fles Spanish lesson to this class. Each year, Lisa and Anna Hansen, a speech therapist at Pine Bush, work with their students on performing a puppet show around the holidays on the adventures of the gingerbread man. This year's adventure made a natural connection to the Spanish being taught in class. By now, we'd like to welcome you, and I'd like to let you know that my class is very, very proud to present our puppet show this year, El Hombre de Gingerbread in Mexico. So as soon as we heard about the bus program over the summer, I called up my speech therapist, and I'm like, the gingerbread man's going to Mexico this year. <laughs> so it kind of just lent itself right to our unit of study that we do every year. I have to say, we're usually um, kind of shocked by the reaction every year, just because we have a lot of children that come in with speech and language difficulties, children that have typically been a little more shy, not so likely to get up and speak. I've even had children, you know, that didn't talk at all. And so they were just so impressed that they would even be able to do that at all. Yet to have them actually incorporating Spanish into it, it was just highly, highly impressive. Lisa observes two other areas of benefit from the FLESS program. In my particular program, a lot of it is still at the verbal level. Um, we're working so hard just to develop speaking and full sentences, um, being able to express their wants and needs rather than gesturing, learning um, to become independent. Um, we actually do a communication lab every week with our speech therapist. I think as a professional, I always see it as it's the window of opportunity to acquire and store a language. Plasticity is the brain's ability just to acquire and store and start to make new connections. And children are always making those constant connections with new language and assimilating it to already learned language or language of learning at the same time at huge rates. And then as we start to get to puberty, we kind of lose that ability. The brain isn't as flexible, I guess, is a really good way to kind of think of it. But you want to get in there when it's the most vulnerable. So if you can get the language skills while they're acquiring their native language, they're going to actually learn alongside their language. And it's going to become more natural and less foreign. It's just a way for them to practice and reinforce what they're learning with us in English. Our children are learning colors. She's teaching colors. We might be learning about family. She introduces family. So there's that constant, you know, madre, mother, padre, father. So they have that constant reinforcement. And when you're learning a language alongside your native one, it just makes it seem a lot more natural. Possibly the most vivid influence of the FLESS program in the Gilderland Elementary Schools is in the transformation of the day-to-day -day culture in each building. Spanish doesn't just start and end when the teachers are present. It parallels the whole day. From simple salutations to school assemblies, the indicators are expressions of the student's experience. of the school to the global community. Foreign language elementary education reaches on, perhaps not in the obvious format of a social studies lesson, but within the personal context of being able to communicate. I'm going to tell you a little story. I don't know if Amy Novak told you. Um, we were talking about um, that 
Milano, they were from the Dominican Republic. And one little kid, very seriously, goes, so you know you're, are you from this planet Earth? Children <laughs> do not understand the concept of space. They do not understand that Mexico is so far away. They see it on a map, and they, that the spatial relationship piece is, is not easy for them at that age. Their cultural piece is embedded in everything. Um, we have to remember that in teaching language, culture is going to automatically be embedded by the words that we choose to use. It, it's a difficult concept in kindergarten to understand the world. And I, I wouldn't expect a kindergartner to leave kindergarten and understand, but they seem to understand that it was a, a bigger place than just Altima. And they were taking you know, trips with their fingers on airplanes and boats and traveling to these different places and, and felt more of a connection to it, which I, it, it's something that has been hard for me to teach in kindergarten in the past. Given the successes of this year's K-2 FLESS program, a continuation and modification of the curriculum is in order. The original proposal is to add one year to the program to connect up with our sixth grade program. The intent is to provide a seamless transition K-12 in foreign language study. There are a couple things that are going to change. Number one, the activities that we use or that the teachers use certainly have to constantly be age appropriate. So as we expand to the next grade level, to grade three, they need to make sure that the activities that they use continue to engage students, but that are age appropriate for third graders. For example, in third grade, we will most definitely, we are starting now in the second grade, reading and writing will start to be a part of the lesson. Reading and writing in, in this class may mean recognizing the words that they see, words for colors and numbers. So we will start with that very, very slowly. I also think that what's going to happen, I know that for teacher-student rapport, I think having the same kids again is really going to build a really nice relationship. And one of the things um, that learning you know, language acquisition requires is that students take risks. In and if students are very comfortable with me, comfortable with Delphina, they're going to be more apt to take that safe risk, um, more apt to try. And we, I mean, with elementary school children, they're really they're risk takers in a good sense of the word. questions and then open it up to the floor for people to ask. And what I wanted to ask. Oh. Um, I don't have any extras right now. Um, I'll check and see. I, I probably can get some extras. I mean, I've, I've had, I've been giving them out and now I'm down to none. <laughs> except for this one. So. Yeah. Thank you. 
I think what a wonderful uh, advocacy tool for your for your program. Seriously, um, it was done professionally. I, I didn't do the taping or anything. I mean, you, when you do something like that, you really can't have if you can get someone else to do it for you who knows what they're doing. So, mm -hmm. and he, the gentleman that did the taping, um, has won national awards actually, and I think it shows. Uh, yes, and then let me, yes, and I'll see if I can get him to make more copies for me. <clears throat> Certainly. I'm Alan Harriet. As a longtime New York State resident, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about the history of PLUS programs in the state. Plus, Al looks at me because I'm the history. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, PLUS had a heyday in the 1950s. And uh, then in the 60s, it sort of petered out. And one reason it did was we promised what we couldn't deliver. Uh, we sort of said children would be totally proficient in the language after a plus program. They're not. They're on, they have a degree of proficiency. They have a strong interest in it. They want to continue with it. But we didn't deliver what we had promised. And right now, I believe that PLUS is, is really enjoying a heyday. Uh, mm -hmm. What's going to happen with the new current problem, you know, with financially in the state? I, I'm not so sure. But also, in the beginning, the objection to putting a program in was money. But now it's not, although it might become money again. And it has been time taken away from the, quote, regular subjects for the classroom teacher. And so that, that has to be addressed. If you want to put in a program, uh, you have to show how this is not taking time away, but and that's by educating the. I talk too much, really, but uh, but stop me if I'm. No, no, that's right. by letting the classroom teacher know you're not just coming in and teaching a few words in a language. That would take time away for the day, as the video showed. You are doing the same thing. You are developing the same skills that that teacher is developing, but doing it using another language. So it's another, uh, it's another chance for the children. It's almost a resource for what they're trying to do in the class. Once they understand that, a lot of the time issue mm -hmm. goes away. And I think um, from my perspective, I teach the uh, certification course for FLES at SUNY New Paltz. And um, what I'm seeing is that in the capital district in, in particular, because this is where I live, I'm being called frequently to offer to consult with different schools, um, offer advice, answer questions about um, FLESS programs because, and I have a, because I think there's a final real, there's finally administrators have realized that there's a connection between um, elementary foreign language programs and improved test scores in other content areas. I think finally the research is out there um, there's so much research out there that I think it's hard for people now to systematically ignore it. And, I, and I'm getting called all the time, almost to the point where it's driving me nuts because I do have other things I do during the day. And I'm amazed that around the Capital District, I know that there are a couple areas right now that are exploring and will be having probably a type of FLESS program in the fall. So I, it is definitely growing. And, West Ch and from New Paltz down, it just seems to be Absolutely. flourishing. Terry, what's your experience in Massachusetts? With the growth of PLUS? Um, in the Massachusetts, let's see, in the 19, in 79, we started an immersion program in my district, and that program has 
helped to springboard at least 10 other programs in Massachusetts. Three other immersion programs, all in Spanish. There's uh, No, excuse me, one in French and two in Spanish. Milton has French, and then Menden and Millet have Spanish. Um, but budget cuts in Massachusetts in the last five or six years have really desecrated a lot of programs. Um, I wanted to piggyback on what Al said. Actually, a lot of the research is available in a lot of places, but on the mm -hmm. Georgia Department of Ed website, you can get a bibliography by Elizabeth Webb, um, and it's just Google Georgia Department of Ed website, and if you follow, they have like a puzzle-looking thing, and you follow world languages, and you can find a bibliography that talks about the results of the Georgia model programs, um, and you may or may not be surprised, language people always want to think that foreign language or second language learning helps a child's native English skills, and it does, but in a very roundabout way, what is more immediately noticeable is a real big increase in mathematical skills, and um, math scores go sky high. And in one of the studies in, that, in the Georgia bibliography, it talks about kids who had less um, uh, foreign language education in the elementary school when Finding the time, Harriet, for that took away from mathematical um, development time, and the kids who did foreign language scored better in math than the children who had more math and no foreign language. So there are lots of connections between problem solving and foreign yeah. language. In fact, it's funny because I did a pre-conference workshop yesterday, and after I pulled it all together, I finally realized that what I was doing was actually I was teaching foreign language through math. The entire three hours is how to use math skills, different math structures that are common to all children be because of the math curriculum, but use them as the springboard to communication activities, writing, listening, I mean, a whole bunch of things. Um, and it's funny that you just said that because I pulled together that workshop and all of a sudden it dawned on me it should be called math in the foreign language <laughs> class because that's, that's what I was doing. It's, a great thing. it's unbelievable. Yeah, there's a lot of, there are a lot more connections there. Can I just put another two cents in? If you're thinking of implementing a program, your best allies will be your parents. And somehow you've got to have them either see videos or experience something in the classroom, however, because they're shocked at what happens when and their children come home and they love it. It becomes a highlight of their day. To keep a program and grow a program, you really have to coordinate with all the subject areas. And the newer curriculum written now is written with inclusion of math and science and all because it's a it's a joy and the classroom teachers who objected to the time don't object when they realize well, they're doing math I, i've in one school a teacher observing a bless class walked by and said she did what i was trying to do today so she felt so positive about it but you've got to show these things and they're easy to show mm -hmm. because obviously if you're teaching numbers what are you going to do with them well you can do some math problems so that's automatic science they're almost all cognates so you get into that. You don't become the science or the math teacher, but as long as you start coordinating with the subject areas, the, the whole concept, the whole idea of the FLUS program as part of the integral child school day becomes very evident. Um, all three of you have taught pre-service teachers. What's the best advice that you give these future teachers? In training them for FLUS? Yes. Um, well, I, first of all, I would say that I think, I think it's criminal that in New York State that all foreign language teachers are not certified K-12. Um, first of all, that's kind of an, a bit of a personal agenda. Um, I think there's a lot to, that we learn in FLESS instruction that really translates into middle school and secondary. I mean, I don't see it as separate. I mean, 
Very little of what you do in FLESS does not work in a middle school, in a middle school or high school. I mean, honestly, um, except if you're doing verb paradigms. But to pre-service teachers, I think um, it, there are a few caveats that there are some ideas they need to walk into the classroom with their first year and things like they need to make sure that they have the layout of the land. Um, they need to know their school, the physical nature of the school. My teachers don't start teaching, as most FLESS teachers don't, for at least the first two or three weeks. You know, they need that kind of time to go in and they need to, for example, they need to go and watch all the classes where they're going to be teaching and see how does that classroom, how's the physical structure of the room, because they're not all the same, where will they stand and deliver their instruction. They need to watch what are the signals that are currently being used by that elementary classroom teacher to get the student's attention. They need to, to be able to, to plot out mentally the distances that they're moving. So my first recommendation to pre-service teachers is that it's, it's, an, it's an absolutely valuable thing that you're doing in studying class education. When you get your job, you really need to spend the first couple weeks looking at where it's going to occur. I mean, that's really critical because it'll make your first day in the classroom much more successful because you don't. Typically, FLESS teachers don't teach every day. You may have a FLESS program where you're lucky to do that. Most of them don't. So you really need to be, you, know, you can't waste any time. So that's just one little suggestion I would perhaps offer to pre-service people as they start the program. Actually, in my program, I insist that they go in and observe some teachers, some classrooms to see what's going on. I have most of my students out here, right? You're all my children. And, <laughs> and so you, when you go and observe, number one, as Al said, you're going into a lot of different classrooms, and you're, the different teachers have different styles. And so you, the one thing I think you have to be in order to be a flex teacher is to be flexible, and because you're going to be having to get along and, and change and do things as you go along. So my first thing would be, as I said, go observe, go see, see the videos, know what it's like. And I have to tell you, when, once people see it, they don't want to go in the high school anymore. Mm -hmm. They really want to teach. You need energy. You need energy, but you don't have all of the other bad things that you might have with teaching, like discipline problems and papers to mark. So. And, and I piggyback on both Harriet and Al saying that I agree with Al. Um, but it's often what Al said about all teachers should have K-12 certification, unfortunately, um, um, winds up to be something that I think is a bad thing. When teachers are K-12 certified without the methodology, and that's not oh, well, what that's he what meant. meant. Exactly. He meant with that's the methodology, but I wanted to clarify absolutely. that. When states, um, there are people fighting in Massachusetts to have foreign language teachers certified K-12. That's a very bad idea unless someone is giving them methodological right. training right. for elementary ed. In my district, I insist that someone be elementary certified, and the Spanish or the French is secondary. But I won't hire a teacher who doesn't have elementary certification to teach in an elementary classroom, even if it's a French or Spanish teacher. Um, and the second thing is that the, the tip I always give, because we have an immersion program, we've, we've learned so much from that, is that you really just need to keep instruction in the target language. Um, I just said foreign language learning is not a linguistic task. All research shows that it's an exercise in problem solving. So if we speak English in the classroom, what problem is there to be solved on the part of the kids? Students don't have anything to solve if they're not constantly engaged in thinking about what is she saying? What does she mean? And they do get there. 
Um, so I would, that would be my best tip to new <clears throat> teachers would be keep it in the target language and they will follow you. They will get yes. there. You have to simplify. It has to be <coughs> easy, but target language I, is I just, I, well, we were just to jump in here because um, <laughs> it's so good. It is. Because it's so true. And <coughs> one of the things, that when you're writing a curriculum, you have to write a curriculum that is designed for teaching in the target language. That is a different kind of curriculum. And if you're going to be using English for important things like instructions, the message to the child is, if it's important, you speak English. And the other is just secondary. But with gestures, with, with material, with everything designed for use of the target language, they understand because they don't approach language the way a high school student does. High school students start analyzing. They want to know what it means. The little kids want to know, oh, everybody's doing it. I'm going to do it too. And then they know what it is. Don't lose sight of it. That's a beautiful aspect of it. And it's, it's interesting because the research tells us that children at that age naturally, if you look at your own children, if you have some, they're the brains, they're naturally processing information 24-7. When the minute a child is born, they're processing input, input, input. So their brains are naturally wired to try to make sense out of what's going on in the world. I mean, if you look at a baby, they're looking at you and they're, and they're trying to process that and you're, you're speaking to them. So if you're not using the target language, they're not sure you're wasting a precious moment that they will naturally process that information because they don't have a sense of where they are in the environment third and fourth graders or I mean third or three or four year olds and it's really interesting because what one of the things we found was um, I had a little bit of resistance from some of the elementary teachers that my own the teachers actually was, were able to dispel but it's based on this because they didn't understand what the teacher was saying in the target language so they therefore translated that to mean that the kids couldn't get it that they were losing the kids and the reality was that wasn't happening it's really an issue of the teachers um, the regular classroom teachers, I'm sorry, not the FLES teacher. And actually what we're doing now is we're offering in-service in Spanish for the regular elementary classroom teachers for those that want to attend so that they can um, learn enough Spanish to, to play with it in the classroom because they will. What's really interesting is do not underestimate the power of the elementary classroom teacher, the regular elementary classroom teacher, because they will instinctively, mostly, want to support the, the language. The foreign language and they will do whatever they can their problem is usually they don't feel they have the content mm -hmm. elementary school teachers are really focused on the content that they deliver they you know they know math they know their social studies they know their science but for remember foreign language is something that may be new for a lot of them or they may have minimal skills or they may feel that they don't have enough skills and so We've, we just offered our first session of three just to, the, to see what would happen. And, and um, one, one of the FLES teachers taught it, one of my three FLES teachers, and they, they said it was packed. You know, a lot of teachers came, and they were just teaching them the common everyday expressions that they're using, you know, to get them so that they could teach. Some of them are already using signals, the same signals for attention, you know, that the, in, the tar, in the target language because they feel comfortable with the language. So they're a resource, too, they that are. you can use. Uh, another thing Harriet said before was um, about making time for foreign language. I want to tell you a little story because it was, it was, uh, um, it's pretty well known now. But it was, I got a phone call one day from uh, Wayland, Massachusetts, the town crier in Wayland. And they said that the superintendent, who is still there in Wayland, Massachusetts, um, had told someone 
the day that I can fit four quarts, five quarts of water into a one gallon pail is the day that I will start a foreign language program mm -hmm. in this school system. And they said, Terry, can you think of something to say? <laughs> I said, oh, oh, you asked the right person. So anyway, it's in one of the articles on your table. It's written up in one of the articles, but I call it the, the uh, water uh, story. I answered that when you're thinking about putting foreign language into the elementary school curriculum, it is never a question of adding mm -hmm. more water to the pail. It is a question of coloring the water in that already full one gallon pail, packed chock full with activities that kids do, and adding food coloring adds nothing to the volume because it diffuses into the water, but it changes the entire complexion and complexity of what's in that pail. And that's what foreign language also, learning in the elementary school is. Also, do not let the principal decide to schedule everything as usual and then decide where the flesh is going to come in. No, that has to be there in the beginning when they're looking at the whole schedule. It becomes a very different process that way. Before we have time, in the box, I just would like to show a little bit of appreciation for all you're doing nice about oh. it. Oh. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. 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 Do we have any questions from the audience? Luke. We, we just began a plus program last year, and um, one of the approaches when you're talking about how to fit everything in, we began our program in fifth grade, and we have a very articulated curriculum. We brought our, we asked teachers, classroom teachers who would teach fifth and sixth grade to come in and help us with our program, and actually what they found was they were doing a lot of repetition from what, was, what they were teaching, uh, or certain units that they had in fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. And they actually were the ones who decided what they could eliminate from the curriculum and then brought that to the administration. So it was, it was, it got them, it got them hooked into our program to start. And they felt that there was some relief from what they, what their normal curriculum was. So I think you, uh, in planning this, it was very advantageous for us to bring in the, the classroom teachers to be part of this. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that's really interesting about the whole planning process is that as you look at the piece, um, sometimes we start to talk about it in terms of, you know, taking out, putting in, taking out, and putting in. And, and as Terry said, it's really just a matter of modifying everything and making it work. And I know that in our school, um, one of the principles, I'll tell you, because um, we had a very long process before ours started, we really did a real big buy-in by the whole the community and the faculty. And one of the statements that came out of one of the, I have five elementary schools that I service, and one of the elementary principals stood up and she said, you know something, folks, we, at an administrative meeting, she said, you know something, we need to sit back and reorganize our day. It is a, there's a waste of time in all elementary school programs. Because what's happened is because of Nickleby and CLB, they keep adding programs to their systems, to their elementary schools, and no one, they, don't, they don't sit down, they haven't, and said, wait a minute, we're not making good use of our time. So our principals actually 
It really forced them to say, wait a minute, we're wasting time. On 10 minutes here, they have cookie time. 20 minutes over here, they have sit on the floor and roll around time. <laughs> I mean, it ends up being because they were adding so many different programs because of testing and all this that the principal said, you know something, we can do this. And so they took it upon themselves to actually sort of shake down their day to make sure that there was time. And I think having been an elementary teacher, I, that does not surprise me because I've seen where they've at, they just keep adding things in elementary school. And sometime you need to stop, drop, and roll is what I call it. Stop the, stop the program. Let's reassess it all. Let's put it all, let's realign the day. But that also becomes a big challenge because... Elementary school teachers, I think more than secondary, middle or secondary, have routines. They're very routine-oriented, and that, that really kind of ruffled their routine-like feathers. But they got over it. They just established new ones. <laughs> you, don't, and, and you don't always get the cooperation you want, so, and so, but there are things you can do about it. When you're writing your curriculum, have a copy of what the curriculum looks like for the well, regular classroom teacher. That will give you the math, that will give you the science, that will tell you where you can plug in and show them where you're co uh, coordinating with them. Mm -hmm. That's in, in your power get as the plus teacher. To get yeah. them on your committee. Yeah. And, and one of the biggest effects of uh, Nickelby, as you call it, NCLB, is that it has turned American education into the old luncheonette in Manhattan in New York City. This is ham and cheese, this is bologna, this is tuna. What happened to the integrated day where young children could carry language arts across all subject areas and teachers knew? We've totally, I think, alienated teachers from the art of teaching um, with some of these mandates because for time on learning now, probably in New York State as well as in my state, teachers have to show schedules that show this is social studies time, this is math time, this is reading time, and never the twain or the triplets shall meet. And um, it's very disheartening because that flies in the face of how young children learn. No mother ever says, honey, today we're going to talk, Diana, about fruits and vegetables. And we can do whatever you want today as long as it's fruits only about fruits and vegetables. <laughs> it doesn't happen. I know no, it's funny, no. but it does. But it makes the point, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> that clip? Uh, oh, now move. Uh, can I speak? Um, sure. We're what? all dying to jump in. Yeah, we're all that, dying that's, here. We all have. We all, number one, special ed children should be totally Absolutely. included in a program. Absolutely. Because if you watch them in this, everybody's bowled over with what they do, with what they really in the program. So, And if they want proof, they can 
go and check with other districts because any district with a decent program includes all students in the, in the program, mm -hmm. number one. Number two, when you're trying to implement a program, never get to the language first because that the sets people off. That's like the last thing you do. It's the least, let me just tell you, it's the least important part. It doesn't matter which language. So, but if you start with the language first, people get all heated up about it and then they don't want to hear the whole thing. When people are all set and they know they want to have a program, you tackle that. There is ample proof out there that other programs are not killed if a program begins in one language. Yes. Uh, there, there have been many programs in yep. which this happened. Uh, of course, the one in Connecticut is the one that was always Glastonbury. Glastonbury, go to their web page. But you can find it all over. In fact, in one of the districts I work with, this big shock now came because so many students were choosing other languages. And what happens in the high school, children choose more than one language mm -hmm. because they really mm -hmm. are into language. Mm -hmm. So your people are spinning their wheels, they're mm -hmm. talking. You've got to get this information to them right away. It's there. It's there. One of, yes. And it's there more than Glassberg. Yes. Nell has it. Mm -hmm. Nell has it. Cal has it. Apple has it. All yeah. kinds of information. When you talk about the special ed piece, what you need to really do is there, there, there's a tremendous misconception out there. In, in our own field, by the way, amongst our own colleagues, hopefully none of you are of them, amongst them, that really feel that foreign language is taught from a linguistic perspective. In other words, that it's taught through verb paradigms, direct object pronouns, and verb and adjective agreement. And that is never how language is learned. And unfortunately, when you talk about special ed parents, 90% of the issues that special ed parents deal, well, they deal with behavioral issues, obviously, but, they, but in terms of academics, it's all about reading. And reading connects to visual problems, all kinds of things. So the parent thinks, perhaps from having had a real traditional experience in a foreign language, how can my kid read French, German, or Polish when they can't do English? And you need to really educate them and say, wait a minute, this is not what we are doing. And you see that class up there that Rebecca Frank talked, that was a communications class. Those children were had major problems in a combined classroom that we have every year that varies in size between 15 kids and up who have communication issues. And by linking the, the content directly to what that te they're doing, these kids perform this play. Ella, we didn't really get to hear what they were saying. They were using Spanish on and off throughout their entire play. The parents had the big one because these children don't communicate in English and now they're saying Spanish words. So what, the opposite actually happened. And in our district, it's all inclusion. We never exclude special ed kids. Sometimes to the dismay of the middle school teacher that has to read the proficiency exam 35 times, but they're all in there. They're a tremendous... I mean, I could talk for hours on that because that's, if they're fighting you, it's only because they don't understand. Right. And right. someone needs to help them understand right. what it is you're going to be doing. And then you're going to see. They'll be like, you know, wait a yeah. minute. That's not what they're familiar with. Most adults still are thinking of foreign languages in I terms of textbooks and, and grammar. grammar. As they yeah, Absolutely. And I, I, yeah, piggybacking on what they both just said, um, I had a young lady, uh, Ainsley Umla, and I have permission to use her name from Ainsley and her mom. They were going to do a video with me, and she moved to Canada. Ainsley came into my seventh grade French class never having had a foreign language, and I used only the target language in the classroom. 
She um, has a language-based learning disability. She's now a college student, but she came in seventh grade. She did well. She did eighth grade because it's not just using the language. It's using the language and simplifying it, and that takes a higher level of proficiency. The person who can simplify the second language is definitely more proficient in the language than someone who's less proficient and can only say it one way. That's just absolutely true. So she came into my class, seventh grade, eighth grade, and I looped with those children to ninth grade. Interesting thing happened. She went to 10th grade. Now, I kept everything in the target language, and she did fine. In 10th grade, she went to another teacher who's no longer with us, but someone who used a lot of English in the classroom. And she said, Madame Kakavali, I have to stop taking French. And I said, Ainsley, is it getting really tough with the grammar? She said, no. And I said, what is it? And she said, he's speaking English. And she said, my brain is language disabled. I can wrap my head around French if someone keeps it in French, and I can wrap my head around English, what I can't do as a language-disabled student is to jump back and forth between the two. Every time we do that, it not only... Another great story is that, you know what, language learning is a global task, as Harriet and Al have said. It is global, it's immersive, so that's why it works best to start with young children, because that's how they learn. And Harriet alluded to the analytical steps. After they go through puberty, kids become more analytical and they want rules. So you have to start them while they're young so that you can immerse them because immersion to somebody who's in 10th grade is the, the, you know, the plague of death. It's right. frightening. They don't want it. They want rules and specific words. Well, you know what? If we don't keep it, if we don't start them young, they're not as apt to respond as well to the immersive methodology. And if we don't immerse them in the language, we miss the boat for kids who do have some cognitive difficulties and are never going to be highly analytical learners. So where do we cast the widest net in foreign language? It's in keeping it in the target language, starting young and immersing them in the language. Because everybody can learn to speak another language. What everyone can't do is conjugate the pluperfect subjunctive in Spanish fill and fill in blanks. But when in your life do people stop you on the street and ask you to fill in a blank with the pluperfect subjunctive? Just, they, they ask you where the ATM machine that's is. That's right. You know, can I... <laughs> the the, the piece about the language choice is really an, an important piece. And I think any school that st starts FLESS has to really think about this because it, what it does is it tends to, it can destroy the foreign language department. And so the foreign language department most, I mean, I have to tell you, they have to be intimately involved in the whole process. Mm -hmm. To exclude the foreign language department in any school when you start a FLESS program is really a, a kiss of death. Um, not that they're going to necessarily accept it for the reasons that you've cited, but um, it, it is scary. Um, I've directed mine to the Glastonbury webpage, and interestingly enough, Glastonbury is about the size of Gilderland, so there is a relationship between the two schools in that sense. And, they have, and, and I have them look at all the languages that are being taught in, um, in the high school and what we have to show them that, yes, this will happen. But until you get to that point, the teachers are very scared. They're, they're afraid of their jobs. They think they're going to lose their jobs. Um, and what I'm doing, and, and I'm not necessarily sure that this is the best thing to do, but it's just something that I've, I've plan, I'm planning on doing is when we get to the fifth grade, since our children choose in uh, January of their fifth grade year which language they're going to pursue 
in sixth grade because we don't do a, a flex thing. Uh, we do French, German, and Spanish in the middle school. My fifth grade year, we're going to spend time learning French and German as opposed to the Spanish. Now, I, you know, pedagogically, that may not be the best thing, but um, I, it will help to s perhaps make the, the other language teachers feel good about it at this point. I think once they realize mm -hmm. that children will make choices, in fact, um, we're already preparing in our middle school for the fact that our children are going to want two languages. That is the bigger problem. What your teachers are focusing on is really very self-centered, the fear of losing their jobs. What they don't realize is two things. The curriculum in the middle school has got to be totally rewritten. And secondly, our school now has to figure out how we're going to adapt to kids wanting to take an additional language because they come to that. They now have accepted language like they've accepted art, math, social studies, and everything, and they want more. So that, to me, almost is a little bit of a bigger problem. Can I just say something else? These issues that are coming up are the same issues that have been coming up since forever. Mm -hmm. And if you're interested, ACPRO has a list of like the 18 or 19 questions that are asked, all of which you must be able to answer before you can go forth and, and want to have a program. And, you know, the, the question of, of losing the job, you know, if you're going to do a, a Spanish program and the French and Italian teachers will lose their job, logic says they're right. Logic that, you know, the immediate reaction would be, oh boy, that's going to happen. I'm scared. It just doesn't happen. Don't ask me why. It doesn't happen. And so as Al and, and Terry said, you've got to bring them in in the whole process and let them see and let them know and, and contact other places where just the opposite has happened. And, and it's all out there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another interest, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just want to say, Needham, Massachusetts, if you want to contact their coordinator, Debbie Waters, W-A-T-T-E-R-S, had an interesting dilemma, and I think this feeds into your original question about startup and then changing languages. Needham starts everyone in Spanish, and some students start French in sixth grade. Debbie Waters called me in a panic uh, five or six years ago and said, Terry, I need your help. And I said, why? And she said, oh my gosh, it's really bad. I said, what is it? She said, the sixth graders in our district um, who started French are performing as well in French by the end of eighth grade as are the first graders who started Spanish in elementary school and stayed in Spanish. She said, how do I explain that with sixth, seventh, and eighth grade in French, they can get as fluent and as proficient in French as are the early startup Spanish in Spanish? And I said, Deb, take a deep breath and step back. They have all been language learners, exactly. second language learners, since exactly. first grade. The more second languages you add, the more proficient you are at each one of those mm -hmm. learning experiences. So I said it makes every bit of sense that your um, eighth grade French students, who have only had French since sixth grade, would be as proficient in French after three years as are the first graders who did Spanish, because the French students had all the input from Spanish to make them really efficient second language learners. Yep. Which is why what Terry and, and Al said, when the curriculum has to be rewritten in all the subjects and in, in all the languages so that the French program in the middle school can't stand as it was mm -hmm. before the, uh, the FLES program in Spanish took place because the students have become language learners. Yes. That's it. The, my teachers, I have to add this because this, I found this very interesting. I don't know if any of you can will agree to this, because my FLES program, 
primarily operates in Spanish. And I say primarily because I'm a firm believer that if, if you get stuck, I mean, there are times in a lesson when you are stuck and the kids aren't getting it, you need to say something. If you can say it in English in one word and move on, then fine. But they're delivering target language instruction. As Terry said, middle school, high school kids start to be more analytical in their language. Hence, in many cases, um, if you look around your schools, the vehicle of instruction in middle and secondary schools is what language? English. My middle school teachers are now kind of, oops, we're going to get kids who are going to be accustomed to what? Only hearing the target language. Right. And I'm going to tell you, some of my middle school teachers, whom I love dearly, and they're, they're awesome, are starting to realize that this is going to make a really big change for them, not just in terms of their curriculum, but how they deliver instruction. Because those kids will demand it from you. Can you talk a little bit about the role of reading in a target language? Reading? Reading in a target language program. Who wants to tackle it? Well, well I can lead a question okay. by saying that that is the only time, really, that I find students all of a sudden asking me, como se dice viajo in it's huge reading and you know it, the, I, the approach, yeah. I I've done as now president workshops around the country about teaching reading in a target language and uh, what people um, seem to forget sometimes is that sight words aren't enough mm -hmm. you need to teach them to decode using the phonetic system of the target language or if it's Chinese the character system but children and students need to have tools at their disposal with which to um, become better learners. If you have French or Spanish, you absolutely need to teach them the phonetic elements of the language so that when they see a word uh, underneath a picture, they can decode it and know what the word is because they know how to pronounce those that, sounds. You just said the, uh, the important thing, because they know how to pronounce. Yeah, exactly. They, they ha that's the thing. They have to always have the go back to the oral. And if they can know the sight sound system, That's right. then they can do that. Then they will understand. And if they have a picture, then they can have the meaning as well. Teaching them only sight words or teaching them only certain words won't make them lifelong learners. The power of reading is huge right. in second language. If, they, if we can train them to read and go through all those developmental steps, they become, there's lots of research that shows that reading is in and of itself. Um, just a huge springboard to, to, to better language, language acquisition. And in fact, the, I subscribe to a lot of reading journals, and one of the things that I read repeatedly is, it just feeds right into foreign language, is that if they can't say it, there's not a chance in hell they're going to ever learn to read it. So we need to really focus, mm -hmm. you know, you start with the, re the oral, oral skills are critical with the sounds, with the all this kind of stuff, phonemic awareness, Without teaching phonics, without teaching, you know, all that transcription stuff that some of us took in college, then you can move into the reading, you know, if, because if they cannot say the word, there's not, there's never a chance they're going to learn the word, which really translates for those of you in middle schools and high schools into what are you doing to make sure you've taught the word once and they've said it 
when they see it in writing, why do you wonder why that they don't know the word and why do you think they can't say it? You're not giving them enough opportunity. So it really fits. One thing to keep in mind I really need to say is we're giving you general ideas here, but be understand that one of the interesting things about FLESS is everybody has the capacity to create their own type of FLESS program in terms of how the frequency of instruction. Mine is truly a minimal program, but the, the, the benefits are unbelievable, as you can see. That was done, the, the video you saw was produced after a one semester of a foreign language, um, and they only meet it once a week. So if you meet three days a week, your reading instruction may take on a different, not a different look, but it may come at a different point in your sequence. And mine, it comes a little bit later because they're only doing it once a week. So it's a little bit different, but it all is different. I think with reading also, you have to do pre-reading uh, mm -hmm. exercises before the, mm -hmm. you show them the word. And yep, what you yep, want yep. to happen is that when the child is, looks at the word, he's hearing within mm -hmm. himself the word mm -hmm. because that's how he knows what it means from that's the sound of the word. That's what and, we'll do. And the power of reading is such that if you just take this away, it's just a great uh, moniker to remember is that education has never been and never will be about teaching students things. It's about teaching them to learn, teaching them to become learners. Once a child can read in a second mm -hmm. language, a child can go on to learn independently in that language. So it's not just about what we do in the classroom, it's about how we empower them to become lifelong learners in that language. And Absolutely. reading is the Absolutely. linchpin to that Absolutely. process, that articulation. Absolutely. In fact, I've been telling my teachers in my department we need to focus more on reading at the middle and high school mm -hmm. because the research is constantly yes. saying, yes, the oral stuff is absolutely critical, but we have shied away from reading to looking at ads is the only kind of reading that we do. And when I was at State, I did try to move away from that, but you know, I, I did leave. But reading has to occur with and greater frequency. And that also will uh, tie the foreign language in with the rest of the curriculum, mm -hmm. the rest of the day, the rest of the skills mm -hmm. that the schools are really stressing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Nick, Nick will be happy. Question. Yeah, we do now, and it's yeah. great. And, and do they take this Oh, I don't know yet. See, we're just, my program is growing, but it's what we're wrestling with right now because we know in the next couple of years we will have children who will want two languages. In fact, the reason this is coming up is we have students that transfer into our school. We just had uh, two or three who came from out of state where they were in FLESS programs. And so putting them in a sixth grade Spanish class really wasn't meeting their needs. So we had to really, you know, and sometimes middle school schedules are really rigid like we do blocking and teaming and grouping and I don't know what they're doing half the time but they're going to they will do the proficiency our middle school program now operates sixth seventh and eighth grade it's a class it's a regular everyday class but I will say you didn't ask the question I am adamant I will not allow the proficiency to be taken below eighth grade there's no need for it I don't know what the point is before eighth grade I have no idea why you would do that that's another piece in New York State because you can't give high school credit in eighth grade for anything other than the checkpoint A.
I just wanted to add that um, I promise when I go home next week after this weekend, I will um, send to the Nicefelt webmaster some protocols for reading for middle school okay. students. Um, take a picture walk through the story. Look at the questions first. What is it that someone wants you to know when you finish reading this? We have my middle school teachers have done an outstanding job of developing protocols that we use in the target language. I'll give you the protocols in English and uh, Spanish and maybe French, but we can put them on the Nicefelt website. I will also send the Georgia um, Elizabeth Webb uh, bibliography to the Nicefelt website. So if you have resources, I can send things that, that I have that might be resources for you. Uh-huh. I, I just wrote it down now. Al's saying, tell them about reading A to Z. Look at this, buddy. Um, reading A to Z dot com, www dot reading A dash Z dot com is a website where you can get free downloadable books and for a $30 a year membership, um, you can get a school membership or an individual teacher membership you can download hundreds of books in Spanish, French, English, and they may be starting Chinese. I'm not sure, but I know they have Spanish, French, and English. And the books are leveled books, high-frequency vocabulary to start with, very, you know, um, very simple books to read, up to um, uh, Che Guevara books. and chapter yeah. books and content um, books. They're really great. They're unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's a great resource. I wanted, to, and I just happened to have this. Um, a fourth grade teacher, a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago, handed me this book in Spanish about the life cycle of the butterfly, and said, "Can you do this with my students?" And I was in the process of writing a song for Nathan about butterflies. Um, and so what I did was I took key vocabulary from this story, um, and I transformed the song that I was writing for Nathan, which is now complete, and I taught it to the kids through movement. Can they would, I could do, I could do, I actually have my guitar there. <laughs> 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 Diana? Do it. Yeah? Yeah. Shaking. <laughs> um, and my guitar is called. Your um, what I do is I have the vocabulary very colorfully with pictures on cards. And because I travel to three different elementary schools and I have um, like 47 different classrooms that I'm I, instead of having a different flashcard for each word or the picture, I put it all onto one. And it's a little small for the kids, but they figure it out. So I do it through movement. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just showing you a little more. Um, so let's say that we're doing, I'm going to actually have my song here. And I can get a copy of this later. And I actually probably have a few copies that people want. Um, but I titled the song. So it's in Spanish, and you don't really know Spanish, and four of don't know Spanish, and you get the song. Um, so we Diana, why don't you come up here? So, because there are people who sing your back. So, um, so, I have my chart of words, and I show them one word at a time with a picture, and we start out, and we act it. So all of the students are acting out the whole 
thing. So we're doing um, the process of of the butterfly, and we're acting out, you know, what it is, and you know, all the students. <laughs> you know, why not? Why don't we do it? Okay, you guys. So, it's Sahira. What's it Sahira. Mariposas. Mariposas. Que eran. Que eran. Orugas. Orugas. So all of the vocabulary in the song that's in here, I'm not reading it. The students are reading it. And that's pre-reading preparation. It is. And the phon phonemic awareness is wonderful. And phonological awareness, that's great. Thing. Um, I want to tell you another thing. Connecticut Colt, if anyone is from Connecticut or you know anybody from Connecticut Colt, has a rhyme celebration every year. And I will tell you that years ago, I thought, well, it's just canned. The kids are you know, just memorizing. You know what? That was so wrong of me. This was 20 years ago or so because I was in an immersion program and thought our kids really understand. The power of phonological awareness, mm -hmm. just awareness of sounds and the streaming of sounds in a foreign language is unbeatable when it comes to teaching them to right. read. And another reason foreign language um, programs need to start really early is that children are developing phonological and phonemic awareness in their own language through age six or seven. Um, if we start foreign language after that, it can't mm -hmm. help them as much in getting those pre-literacy skills. So we can do a better job helping children learn to read in English if we can start foreign language early. And an example of that is if they hear a rouge, you know, you ask, you say to a five-year-old, I'm wearing my rouge t-shirt today, an English-speaking five-year-old is always going to say, what's rouge? Mm -hmm. Because rouge doesn't sound like anything in that phonological stream that he or she may be used to hearing. So it's really needed. It actually helps children to segment words in their own language because when they can identify the boundaries of the foreign word, they can start to identify where the word in English ended before the foreign word started. And that's a huge skill for pre-reading. 
That's it. We are do, we are really involved in skills and skill development in FLESS, and that's what people have to understand. Yeah. Then it's not taking time away from the day because those skills are supposed to be developed in, in the in the English language. You had a question, My yeah. Question. <laughs> um, and I think this is a question that a lot of people have because I get it. I've been going into other districts who want to start early language programs, and the one wall that they keep hitting that I have a response to it, but I want to get better responses. Money. <laughs> so I want, and I know that there are lots of responses, but I want to know how would you respond to, we don't have any money to start this program, or how much money is it Of course, the whole money situation is liable to change now with what's going on. We might have to come up with other answers for the money just because of, of, of that. So I'm hoping that maybe... And the money will... I have to tell you, if parents... Parents are the ones that spend the money. They're the ones that pay the taxes. They're the ones that they see their children, if they see any children involved in a program like this, there will be the money because they're the money bags. You know, mm -hmm. the, the other thing I'd come up with is that when you um, set power standards or if you're working with professional learning communities in your districts and, and you're looking at, um, um, you know, looking at student work, power standards are just the most important standards. In social studies, there are going to be things that apply to social studies, but in uh, social studies, there would also be critical thinking or cause and effect relationships. Mm -hmm. Languages use power standards mm -hmm. that incorporate power standards from every other discipline because every discipline involves language. So when it comes to that, Diana, I'd say priority. You know, prioritizing where the money, that's what you need to do. In a budget crunch, my former superintendent, after whom our elementary school is named, said it's in times of worst budgets that the most creative ideas are born. And that's absolutely true. If you have a language program that can teach music and can incorporate science and can incorporate the fine arts, you're getting more bang for your buck. And so I'd go with the prioritizing and saying that second language instruction covers all those bases and reinforces every single other content And what area. you're saying is what I wanted to say, because that parent, those that school board, that administration, is thinking of language as they learned it years ago, yes. which was conjugating verbs, and they don't have the concept yeah. of what we're doing today. So that you can supply for them. Right. It's really about getting it into the hands of the right people, you know. And um, and I will say, you do need buy-in. If you need buy-in, so if you just do grants and you find a way to get some special money. That may be nice for today and tomorrow, yeah. but that does not provide buy-in. In our district, as a matter of fact, we're doing our budget for next year already, and I'm, of course, looking at Walmart, Wal Walmart, <laughs> the stock market, I'm thinking, they're going to kill my FLESS program. And it was the superintendent already said, this is a priority. This will not alter the program one bit. We're going to add fourth grade next year. End of story. And this is because the parents are on his back. <laughs> That's right. I mean, the parents, because they see the results. Exactly. You, I mean, this, we could talk for hours just about how do you get this to the parents? Because that's a whole other workshop. What do you do? But there are the things available. If you get Al's uh, video, there are other videos. There are other schools that are available for visitations. 
encourage them to go because it's really an educational process. We, we have to understand where they're coming that's from. That's right. And I'm just so proud to say that in the Nell Journal, I really look at the Nell website. If you become a member of Nell, and I know it's another cost, but if your school can become a member of Nell for $100 a year, all the teachers in the school could use the access to the website. Um, we have a journal article coming out. Our journal will come out the first week in December, right after Actful, and it's about it's all about professional development. And a big article is about where you can go, Glastonbury. Um, I should have Gilderland, New York, in that article. I might add it tonight. Where you can go to, I think I will, Alan. I'll really. give you some um, others. Yeah, where you can go to get the best professional development, because for us as Flesh teachers, the best professional development involves observing right. and interacting. Um, in those schools where they have good plus programs. And the, the whole article is about where those programs are around the United States. Because the classroom teachers want to go and visit the classroom teachers right. in some of these other districts. And the parents want to speak to some parents. Yeah. And that's it, and that's the best way to go. It is. Um, I was just going to mention that the NEA today has an article about Worldwide. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's entitled um, In Their Words. Working with words. It's um, again, if you email me, I can email you that link if you want it. I can send that to Nice Felt as well. It's a great article about we need more students, um, you know, learning other languages earlier. And actually, somebody from Connecticut sent me not only the link to the article, but the research behind the article. It's about a six to eight page document that That's important. the NEA did. Uh -huh. Yeah, so if, if you want send to that. Email, like it's out to you. We could probably talk for hours more, but we've actually gone over time, and I don't want to hold people up in the next session. So I'd like to thank you, three panelists, for coming. Thank you. I just have to tell you, from the Nell point of view, you don't have to go any further than New York State to find excellent resources for foreign language learning. You you are blessed in this state. I am so proud of New York. I, Mary and I met at the panel last year. You have so many resources here, it's outstanding. And on the NYSEPELT <laughs> webpage on so the bulletin boards, there is a plus bulletin board. Please hop into the conversation.